Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of The Witcher, chapter-by-chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 19 from Season of Storms, and an interlude. There's an interlude that comes between 19 and 20, so that will be included in today's episode. So this is the second-to-last episode of this series that I've been doing for like I guess a year and a half at this point. So it's kind of sad. Uh, not as sad as it will be recording the next episode, which will be the last one. Um, again, I am going to continue this series with a different set of books in the distant future though, um, from the time that this has been uploaded at least. But I actually have a lot of plans for Witcher videos that I want to make for YouTube, so stay tuned for that if you're listening around the time that this was uploaded, because um, I've got, I have a little list on my phone of ideas that I have, and I, I've got plenty in there. So there's definitely stuff coming. It might be a while, though, because um, I'm definitely a video editing novice, and uh, I also am a perfectionist when it comes to video editing, so I want things to look as good as I can possibly make them, but it takes me forever to do that, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. It's just going to be a little bit of time, but I'm really excited to make these videos. I think that, uh, I think if you are enjoying this podcast, if you've been enjoying it, you'll probably enjoy those videos. If you're as invested in The Witcher as I am, and if you're here, you must be. <laughs> okay, so I'll give you the recap from the last episode, followed by the summary of chapter 19 and the interlude, and then we'll go into detail about what happened. Okay, for the recap. Geralt attended Belahun, the king of Karak's wedding, where he witnessed the king's assassination by his banished son, Varaxis, who immediately seized the throne after. Summary. After the wedding, Geralt, Dandelion, Coral, and Mosaic find themselves basking in the pleasant weather. However, the serene atmosphere takes a sharp turn as a sudden darkness shrouds the sky. A violent storm emerges from the ocean, unleashing ferocious winds and colossal waves that wreak havoc on the city. In the midst of the chaos, Coral teleports away while Geralt and Mosaic, aided by a few others, remain behind to rescue those on the verge of drowning. Geralt himself nearly succumbs to the treacherous waters until an unexpected savior emerges. The guardhouse commandant with whom he engaged in a brawl earlier in the story. Upon Coral's return to aid the wounded, Geralt and Mosaic, disillusioned by her earlier desertion, choose to sever ties with her. Meanwhile, Dandelion notices the disappearance of Geralt's sword, prompting Geralt to conclude that it is high time they bid farewell to Carrick. In the interlude, Yennefer joins Coral at her Carrack villa for some wine, where we learn that Coral deserted the others during the, st the storm to protect her home. She also denies ever having an affair with Geralt and tells Yen that Mosaic, who had recently returned from an adventure with Geralt, was the one who he got involved with. Oh my goodness, Coral. Got plenty to say about her soon enough. So the, the very beginning of chapter 19, the very first line is Dandelion pointing out a rat and Geralt he couldn't care less about a rat, especially today, immediately following all of the events <laughs> from the previous chapter, since it's it's the same day. It's a lot that went on this day. Very eventful. 
but then everybody notices the rat because there's suddenly not just one rat, there's thousands of them and they're all fleeing from the harbor. And Coral points out that she can sense a storm coming. And it's a tremendous storm, in fact, and the rats can sense it too. And you know what? This is true. Rats can sense a storm in real life and they will do whatever they need to do to protect themselves. And in this case, they knew they needed to get the heck away from the sea. I thought that was uh, really interesting. Like it got me thinking about how rodents are that intelligent. Like they can sense a storm before there's actually any signs of the storm. But I mean, I guess there's signs from their perspective. Anyway, um, aside from the fleeing rats, there's no indicator that there is a storm. And Dandelion even doubts this because the weather's very nice today until suddenly the wind starts blowing and very quickly intensifies, the crashing of the waves intensifies, and the sky darkens. And with this, roofs are flying off buildings, the ground is shaking, objects are flying everywhere. Then a giant wave begins to form and it just keeps on growing until it's as high as the masts on the dock ships and Coral's telling Geralt they need to leave, but they don't, they stick around. And then the giant wave crashes on the harbor, destroys the pier and dock and there's boats flying through the air and all of the cottages near the beach just get washed away. So it's total mayhem and it's not even over yet. So as the storm was picking up, like Dandelion says, is this the end of the world? So it must have really looked like the end of the world if you were there, if you were present for that, it must have been terrifying. And the way that this chapter describes the storm, it describes it so vividly that you actually kind of feel, I did at least, feel like anxiety about it, that really uneasy feeling. Um, so the wave crashed into the river mouth and then somehow created this whirlpool. So anybody who fled in that direction got swept away in the water. And the waves continue. There's at least seven more of these giant waves until there's another twice the size of these. And it's so huge that it's described as obliterating the sky. And then the wave crashed down on Palmyra, which is one of Karak's neighborhoods, and it completely destroyed it. It washed it off the face of the earth, as the book says. And Palmyra, it was this busy place. It's actually talked about multiple times while Geralt is in Karak. So this definitely resulted in many instant deaths. And then um, the terrace that they're standing on gets hit with a wave and people start to flee. And Coral at this point starts pleading with Geralt again to leave, but he doesn't along with some other people. He notices um, Antia Daris, Pyro Pratt's daughter who helped sell Geralt's stolen swords. And uh, Phoebus Ravenga, the owner of the fancy restaurant that's been brought up multiple times. And then they see, um, the nice villas around are just getting totally overwhelmed with waves and they just start crumbling one by one. And when Coral sees this, she teleports away. And it's not said here exactly what she was doing, but we find out in the interlude what she was up to when she teleported. But the water in whirl, whirl, whirlpool form is now up to the terrace where Geralt Dandelion and Mosaic are. And there's people in the water and they're struggling not to drown. And there's some people that are trying to help them. They're like throwing objects out to them, like, oh, grab onto this, trying to rescue them. There's a man that even jumps in to save somebody. And then they spot these little kids that are clinging on to um, a roof fragment that's floating by. And with that, Geralt passes 
dandelion his sword to hold on to and he dives in intent on saving the kids so there's good guy Geralt again getting involved helping the innocent even when there's no job calling for it although this was probably a much easier decision than a lot of the times we see him get involved like most of the time when he gets involved he's fighting other humans like humans that are accosting innocent humans um so that's a little bit more conflicting than this like right now he's just battling mother nature so as soon as he jumps in he's already having a hard time swimming like the waves are tossing him around he's getting hit with all kinds of large objects like furniture and fragments of buildings but he eventually makes it to the kids and there's three of them he doesn't think that he's going to be able to carry all three of them like swim back with all three of them uh, but he doesn't have to because Antia Daris dove in too and then she volunteers to take one of the kids so Geralt only has to swim back with two which is still very difficult swimming on his own was difficult so this is going to be a hard time, but a little bit easier now that Antia Darius is taking one. So a wave smashes him into the wall of the terrace and the people above try grabbing the kids, but they couldn't reach when another wave carries them away. Uh, but Mosaic jumps in and she takes one of the kids from Geralt and the people were able to help this time pull them up to safety. And I like Mosaic. She seems like a really good person. She seems like, like a bro. Uh, but she's still, <laughs> she's still young and influential. So under Coral's tutelage, that very well might change over time, unfortunately. But as of right now, she seems pretty cool. So then after saving the child, Antia Darius gets violently smushed between the terrace wall and a heavy stake and dies. So there was some nice redemption for Antia. We wouldn't have expected it considering what we do know of her. Like she deals in business with thieves. She's the daughter of Pyro Pratt, who's the head of organized crime in the region and the swindler who duped Dandelion into buying the crappy sword for Geralt when she knew that Geralt's swords were stolen. So of course, when, when we see her doing something heroic and selfless, she's gotta die right away. So that's a bummer, rip. Well, following her death, Geralt's about to die. Of course he doesn't, but he's about to. Uh, he gets hit by two stakes so hard that he's momentarily paralyzed and he starts sinking until someone bravely pulls him up and out of the water. And he's thinking about this, this strong man who saved him as he's choking on water. And then he, he comes to and he looks to his savior only to realize that it wasn't a strong man. It was a strong woman. And it was the commandant from the guardhouse. So the one that he got into a fist fight with along with her uh, guardhouse colleagues uh, back in the beginning of the story when he learned about his, his, his swords being stolen. So she even mentions this. She says that she and her girls are still pissed <laughs> about that. So he better steer clear of them, which she's probably half kidding, half not. But I love moments like this in stories when people are big enough to overcome their petty differences like she does here and saves his life. And she tells him that he's he's courageous. Um, so maybe that's why she saved him. I don't know. Maybe she would have done so anyway. But uh, she saw him trying to rescue those kids. So um, I think she admired him a little bit for that. And then she says her name is Violetta. So we finally get to learn what her name is. Uh, don't really learn too many personal details about her except for her name and that her and the rest of the women that work in the guardhouse eat a lot of beans. But uh, yeah, I thought it was nice to learn her name because she did something really cool there. 
And then suddenly the storm passed and the sky brightens back up really fast as if nothing had happened. And Geralt's all banged up and injured, but luckily there's nothing seriously wrong with him. Then who should show back up now that the storm is over, but Coral with her magic medical bag in hand. And she says, I came back and Geralt responds with, no, you didn't, you left. And I thought that was a funny response. It's like, no, you didn't. Like, well, she did, but I get, I get what he's saying. <laughs> um, she doesn't like Geralt's very understandable reaction to her returning only after the danger has passed. And she gives a very narrow minded response like, Oh, you want it to be like that then? Okay, fine. And then she orders Mosaic to come. Mosaic refuses. She stands with Geralt against Coral for abandoning the scene. Um, I mean, it's great that Coral is going to offer help to the wounded, but as a sorceress, she probably could have done a lot to save people while it was happening. Uh, but she chose the selfish route, as we learn in the interlude, what she was really doing. But... Yeah, the, there maybe could have been more people saved. Antia Darius maybe didn't have to die because she's got magic powers. She could have saved people, but she uh, she didn't. And that's another reason to add to my list of why I do not like Coral. Uh, and she's pissed about Mosaic's reaction also, but she has pretty much the same response that she had to Geralt. Like, oh, okay, it's gonna be like that, then fine, I'll just leave. Ridiculous. Then um, Phoebus Ravenga walks up. Uh, he's looking like he was just rescuing people and they look to him for direction. And, and he simply says, bury the dead, take care of the living and start rebuilding. Because what, what else can be done? So Geralt asked Dandelion where his sword is since he gave it to Dandelion to hold while he was in the water. And Dandelion looks to where he left it and it's gone. Someone stole Geralt's replacement sword so poor Geralt just cannot catch a break first his, his swords are stolen second he's duped into buying a fake sword then the next sword that's given to him is stolen and they stole his jacket too so that wasn't even it, it wasn't even just a sword it's like that insult to injury they're taking his jacket too it's not the first time he's had misfortune with a jacket um and eternal flame he bought this nice jacket something Geralt normally wouldn't do. He's like, oh, I'm going to splurge and get myself something nice. And then uh, right after buying it, it gets uh, ripped. Did it get like totally destroyed? I don't remember. Yeah, I'll find out soon enough. I'm going to reread this entire series once I'm done with the podcast because of the video ideas that I have. Like when you think about it, The Last Wish, the book, The Last Wish, I haven't read that in a while. Like even though I became very familiar with it because I read every story, every chapter so many times in preparation for each episode where I covered it. I still haven't read it for a while, so I'm going to go back and reread the whole series. So I'll remember all those little details from the earlier books that I'm starting to forget. I don't know if that's normal or if my memory sucks, but I definitely am not remembering a lot of little details like this. Like, did, what happened to Geralt's jacket and Eternal Flame? Is it really that important? No, but I still I want to know. So I'm just going to have to go back and reread it, which is no problem at all. It is such a pleasure to read these books. So with this update of his sword being stolen, of getting uh, robbed of his weapons <laughs> once again, he says, that's it. I'm over this. I'm over this town. I'm over everything it stands for. Let's get the heck out of here. Stat. 
And that brings us to the interlude that takes place 12 days later at Coral's Karak Villa, where she and Yen are hanging out, drinking wine. And the first thing that they discuss is the villa. Yennefer points out that the storm left the nearby villas in piles of rubble, yet Coral's is completely untouched. And she even adds a cheeky little comment about how Coral is so lucky she should play the lottery. I think Yen understands that Coral magically protected her home from the storm. I don't know if she uh, judges her for protecting it instead of saving people since Yen wasn't present there. I don't know if she could fully understand that situation. She's really smart, maybe, um, but she does at least understand that Coral used her magic abilities to protect her home from getting destroyed. And Coral doesn't confirm or deny that she did that. She just says, oh yeah, the priests wouldn't call it luck. They'd say it was divine intervention, the heavenly forces at work. Like, shut up. <laughs> I really don't like her. I try to remain very objective, but this is a character I don't like. She is well-written, I will say that. I think with um, characters that are very easy to dislike, this is my opinion, like maybe, maybe you love her, I don't know. I'd be surprised if anybody actually, I mean, you can be entertained by her, but if you actually like her and think she's a great person, the world needs more corals. <laughs> I don't think too many people would have that opinion, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think a good character, um, like a, a well-written, like unlikable character, um, you, you know that they're well-written when you don't really even know them too well, because how well do we really know Coral? So in that short amount of time that she is present throughout this series, it became very easy for me, uh, speaking for myself, um, to very much dislike her. So anyway, um, the important thing with this moment in the, the interlude with, um, Coral not confirming or denying with Yennefer pointing it out is for us to understand that's what she did. And it shows that Garrel and Mosaic's reaction to her abandonment during the storm is totally justified. So they weren't wrong in that at all, which I mean, I don't know that they could even be considered wrong if she wasn't protecting the villa, but where else would she have gone? Anyway, uh, then Coral calls for Mosaic to fill up Yen's empty cup. So we learn right at the top of the interlude that Mosaic actually didn't bail on Coral, or not for long at least, uh, but we do come back to that detail towards the end. So Coral says that she's selling her villa because the weather has stopped suiting her. And this isn't the only reason, but I think I'd wanna leave that place too if there's a risk of a storm like that taking place again. I'm sure it's not common, it can't be common, because if that happened all the time, then the city would never be able to be rebuilt, would never be able to be lived in. Um, but I wouldn't care if I saw that that was capable of happening at all. Like if that happened where I lived and I survived it, I'd be out of there so fast. <laughs> it sounds so terrifying. Uh, and I wonder what the death toll was at the end of that. It had to be high. Um, but Coral has a few other reasons for selling her villa. And they're tied mostly to politics with the new king, Varaxis. Uh, one of his new edicts is all non-humans who take jobs away from humans are to leave the country within two weeks. Um, 
I mean, we pretty much know Coral sucks, but she's not the absolute worst. It seems like she was disgusted here by this racial discrimination enough for it to be a reason, just one reason to not want to live in this country where these practices are accepted. Um, that's not her only reason for wanting to sell the villa, but I think that does play into it. I think she doesn't want to live where that sort of thing is tolerated, um, but that's not the biggest reason. And for all we know, she could have just added that in there as like, oh, look at me, like, like uh, I'm so nice to, you know, be opposed to kings that are um, discriminating against non-humans. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not trying to find ways to villainize her even more. I'm just saying, we, we don't know. Uh, but another new decree under Varaxis's reign is that no magic can be done in the country without the permission from the king. In addition to a new law that mages cannot own property anymore in Karak. So it's now, it's now not a very mage-friendly place. And she points out that this is the revenge of the king's wife, Ildiko Breckel, who, as we learned in the previous chapter, was expelled from Aratusa, the school for sorceresses, and she hates Quarrel. So since Quarrel is the only mage who owns property in Karak, this law affects her personally. So she can't really uh, continue working here anymore and she can't own her home anymore. So selling is the only option that she has. So then Yen points out uh, something very interesting and confirms the suspicion from the last chapter. And that's that the mages were in fact behind Bellahun's assassination. She says that rumors have, the rumor has it that the sorcerers got Varax's crown. And Quarrel says, well, rumor knows what it's talking about. And the suspicion, this is like the reader's suspicion, um, came from the necklace that choked Bellahun to death. And Geralt recognized it as the same one that Daggerlin had when, when he was captured by Daggerlin. So it was pretty obvious that that was what was going on there. But now we know for sure, now that that's brought up again, and uh, Coral basically confirms that, um, now we know that that was the same necklace. So they also talk about how the confiscation of the non-humans' properties is one of the ways that Varaxis is trying to pay back the chapter. So he is in debt to them for basically putting him on the throne, and he is doing these really immoral things to obtain more money to pay them back. He's a nice guy, right? If you had any doubts, he will make a great king. And that's sarcasm. I feel like I need to say that just in case somebody doesn't understand that that's sarcasm. I don't want anybody to misinterpret that for anything it is. And then, and then I'm thought of as somebody that would actually have that sort of judgment about a horrible character. Okay, so the political talk comes to an end, and Coral urges Yen to keep drinking her wine, and Yen points out. Why do you want me to keep drinking so much when you're barely having any? Like, are you, are you okay? Are you ill? And Coral says that she's been feeling morning sickness, but it'll per it'll pass after the first trimester. Okay, just for like a second. In this moment, when I was reading the chapter the first time, I was like, holy crap, no way. Because although mages are sterile, there are some exceptions, like Geralt's mother, for example. So I'm thinking just for the smallest microsecond of a moment there's a possibility she's pregnant 
with Geralt's baby. <laughs> but that really wouldn't make sense anyway, since witchers are also sterile. Like, what are the odds that there's uh, exceptions for witchers, too, and a witcher and a sorceress, two people that, for the most part, cannot reproduce, make a baby together? It's not not likely. I don't know if it would ever even be possible. Um, yeah, I came to my senses very quickly, but there was just that one second. I'm like, oh my gosh, how did she get pregnant? <laughs> and then she admits it was a joke. And I think the purpose of her making this joke was to, well, have a brief moment of cruelty and to also transition to the topic of her and Geralt's affair because she knew that Yen had heard about it. And I think that that's why she made that joke because, well, first of all, it wasn't a funny joke. Like, Coral was the only one who got a kick out of it. And Geralt even said that um, in the past, Coral has no sense of humor. So if she's making jokes, it's there's an ulterior motive behind it. It's not like she's just trying to have a fun, funny time. Like, Yen doesn't laugh at all. Yen doesn't laugh a lot anyway. She says that at some point, I think, back in, like, Plot of Elves. See, there are some small details I remember from the earlier books. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, she denies that the affair with Geralt ever happened. She acknowledges that Yen most likely heard about it, and she and Geralt did spend time together, but it was strictly business. She says that she would never do that to a close friend, which she's just a liar. And she has the audacity to refer to Yen as a close friend while she's telling her a lie. <laughs> it's like she brought this whole thing up just to lie about it. Like, I get the point of it like she wants to if she's gonna lie about it she's got to bring it up so that way she can make sure to tell her like oh i, I never did what you heard that i did um but she, but she did <laughs> it's just a uh, another reason to not like quarrel uh but she also tells yen that in addition to never doing that to a close friend Geralt wasn't even interested in her because he was really interested in mosaic and then she has Mosaic come over and tells her to tell Yen about it, about her love affair with Geralt, which is incredibly cruel. And Mosaic pleads with Coral because she's already been punished for it. We know how Coral punishes Mosaic, even when she minds her own business. So we can assume that Mosaic received a pretty nasty punishment. Like she had her hand twisted around, um, because Geralt was looking at her too much. Like she took no part in that. She didn't participate in that. Like she was just there getting looked at. He was doing that to get under Coral's skin and then Mosaic gets punished. So she actually did something like she took action here. And uh, you know that that would um, probably unleash some really horrific punishment. Um, but I guess it is a good thing that Mosaic was allowed to return as a novice at all, considering um, this thing that Geralt said earlier in the story. He said, and this is a direct quote from the book, he said that sorceress's pupils are strictly prohibited from even the most innocent flirting. For the smallest offense of that kind, Coral will decide she's not worth teaching and send her back to school, which is an awful embarrassment and loss of face for a pupil. So, I guess... It is a good thing that she got to return, but I, at the same time, it probably, it, it maybe would be better for her to just go back to school and not be around Cora. But a lot of these sorceresses are so corrupt anyway, so I don't know. Anyway, so the story of what happened 
with Geralt and Mosaic that Coral tells here, since we didn't get to see exactly what happened, was that Mosaic ran away with Geralt when they left Karak, and then one morning she woke up and he was he was gone. She was alone. Uh, but then Yen steps in and she says that he left her flowers and a note. So I guess Yen was reading Mosaic's mind as she's wont to do, since Mosaic didn't say anything about this. Like Yen just knows and. Yen wouldn't just know that because she was astonished by the fact that Mosaic and Geralt got together at all. Um, and then Coral gets angry by this news um, that Mosaic never even told her. And um, that's when she realizes that Geralt must have told her to return to Coral. Like it was his demand that she do that. And then she says that she never expected that of him. Coral never expected Geralt to do that. To which Yen responds that it's because she didn't actually know him. And I wonder, I wonder if what we're supposed to understand here or how it can be interpreted here is uh, Yen actually did see through Coral's lie and know, um, and knows that they did in fact sleep together, Coral and Geralt. Because uh, she's smart. She is, um, she is a very smart person and Maybe when Coral got really butthurt about um, finding out that Mosaic got a letter and flowers when Coral didn't get that. And she wanted it, too. She even said that to Geralt. She's like, oh, this is going to end. Like, you could at least like leave a note or flowers or something. Um, she didn't get that from him. So I think the anger that she expresses here maybe gave her away. And that's why Yen's like, well, you didn't really know him. Kind of to like rub it in a little bit like yeah you you did have some feelings for him but you didn't really know him and what you had with him wasn't real but i don't know yen can read minds i can't so closing thoughts um chapter 19 i thought it was really well written it had me on the edge of my seat i was really feeling the suspense um i i actually read before i go to bed every single night um, like I, I, I read these books different times throughout the day, but every night before I go to bed, I read, and I could not read this chapter before I went to bed, uh, because it was written really well it, it, that it strongly affected me. And I was worried that I would have nightmares from reading it right before falling asleep, um, or just not being able to fall asleep because of the unease that it created in me. So it's definitely really well written. It was kind of hard to talk about, though. Like, when I was writing out my notes here for this episode, I was thinking about how I don't really have a whole lot of opinions on this. I don't really have, like, too much of an analysis to provide because, I mean, it's just, like, Mother Nature at work. There's a storm, and it's disastrous. Not too much to say about that. The interlude, though, was different, though. I got to voice my opinions on Coral and her ways, but, um, yeah, I'm not really going to miss her. I don't know. Kind of. She definitely had me entertained. If, if a character gets you to talk about them as much as I talked about them, if you have that many opinions on them, then I think it's safe to say that they are entertaining, but she's a shit person. Ooh, I'm trying not to curse anymore. <laughs> she is though. Okay. Looking ahead, one little thing. We have one chapter left, and we still need Geralt to get those swords back, so that's it. It's the only thing that's really left 
unfinished year. Well, I guess there's also uh, the uh, Aguara told Geralt that she'd come back for him, but we don't know yet if she's going to do that at all, if she's going to do it here. Maybe she was going to come back to him before he died and she never got around to it. But we'll see. We will see in the next episode, the final episode. I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for it to end, emotionally speaking. But such is life. Everything needs to come to an end. Okay. <laughs> Just to let you know in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll catch you in the next and final episode. <laughs>